0: Welcome to the Pickup Game. I'm your host Tim Williams. I'm joined this week by Jim Williams down in Baltimore. We're going to be talking about baseball's crop of young star players and how it's the beginning of a new era for Major League Baseball and this is going to be a great crop of players. There are so many of them that I think we overlook people from time to time and we we talk about a few players that we kind of think they're not young anymore because they've been in the league for so long. Jim, you're in the DC area. You you're in Baltimore, but you, if you're talking about young ball players, there's certainly, it's hard to not start the conversation with Bryce Harper.
1: Well, no, it's uh, Bryce uh, Harper. We, you know, we have a couple actually in this area, Uh, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. And I think a lot of people, they both came in about the same time, Bryce a little ahead of Mar, you know, Manny. Uh, but, you know, they are guys who have been in the league for so long that sometimes you forget that they are actually, you know, part of the, the young star brigade. And, um, you know, that's not to say guys like Mike Trout and, and Chris Bryan and all those other outstanding uh, you know, players aren't good. I think one of the things that I, that baseball has to um to be pleased about is that there are so many, you know, very, very talented young ball players and uh, baseball needs that. Baseball needs good young talent. And the good news is it's spread out all over the place. It's not just located in a two or three teams. There's pretty much, you know, as many as, yeah, depending upon what you're, you know, what you think, there could be as many as seven or eight uh, young players, uh across the the league and um, and there's another, you know, step down situation of some young guys who um, who in the next couple of years, we'll probably hear from that are up, uh, you know, Trey Turner, a kid who plays shortstop for uh, the nationals who last year finished second uh, in the MVP. I'm sorry. In the uh, rookie of the year balloting um, is a young guy who uh, just only played half a season last year. So, There's a lot of uh, talented guys, and they're spread out throughout both the National and American League, and I think that's what's most exciting for baseball.
0: Well, not only that, they're also in places that care about baseball. Maybe not necessarily your stereotypical large market, though we do have a few of those. You mentioned Chris Bryan already. I live in the Boston area. I can't do this without mentioning Mookie Betts several times because he's in that crop as well. That's Absolutely. that's great for the game. The Yankees have a couple of young guys that are taking the league by storm. Aaron Judge is currently mm-hmm. tearing it up this season. You have guys in D.C., as you mentioned, mm-hmm. with Harper and the up-and-coming Turner. You've got... It, even the St. Louis Cardinals have Carlos Martinez who really turned a corner in the last couple of years and has become an ace across baseball. So you have these guys all over the country and Mike Trout out West as well as Corey Seager that it's great placement and that's going to help baseball as well because, well, certain places follow baseball a little more closely anyway I, I don't want to I don't I don't want to prefer certain markets over others but let's face it certain places prefer baseball to the other sports and that makes them stand out.
1: Yeah, I think that um you know one of the things that uh you know, one of the things I think that um uh, people uh unfortunately don't um have the time Uh, to invest sometimes in is, is looking at players from other teams, you know, trying to do your best, um, you know, to see like a Gary Sanchez, for instance, the catcher for the, for the New York Yankees. I mean, you know, um, you know about who Chris Bryan and, 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 um, and Bryce Harper are. You sometimes don't know uh, what, you know, what it's like to watch a Manny Machado play, uh, or uh, Francisco Lindor from the Cleveland Indians or uh, Christian Yelich is another one. Uh, a lot of people uh, haven't seen Christian play and, you know, it, you could make an argument that frankly, the Christian Yelich, you know, uh, is just as good if, if not better perhaps than Giancarlo Stanton in Miami.
0: Yeah, he's fantastic. And, and, and you're right, he's not getting a whole lot of attention in Miami right now. And I, I think the leader of those guys, the guys that you hear about occasionally, but nobody ever seems to take the time to go watch, is Mike Trout. Because you, you hear about Mike Trout as a set of numbers, pretty much. He's he's the war stat personified, and it it gets... It, it gets very abstract when talking about Mike Trout. I think people haven't really taken the time to watch that many Angels games. Although this year, the Angels are surprising. They're 21-21. and 21. They're treading water right now. And a lot of people didn't expect them to even do that. So if there's ever been a time to watch
1: Mike Trout, this might be it. And let me ask you a quick question. You know, he plays center field. Mookie Betts plays center field. You see Mookie Betts a lot. Obviously, you don't see Mike Trout as much. But if you had to tell people or compare and contrast them, what's the difference between the game that Mike Trout plays and the game that Mookie Betts plays?
0: I'd say Mookie Betts is a a tiny bit more raw. He plays Mm -hmm. a little more. Mike Trout is one of the most polished baseball players you'll ever see. He's Mm -hmm. a coach's dream he does all the fundamentals so well. He has such a perfect swing that everything else kind of follows from that. And he has great fielding technique and decent enough speed. He can steal bases and he can cover a lot of ground in the outfield. Mookie Betts is just an athletic talent. He has a, he, he has a good swing, but he doesn't have that fundamental. You can set a metronome to it. Swing. He's, a good base runner, but he really has the best sense of wind to run of anyone I've seen in a long time. He doesn't get caught stealing. And, you know, I think the big knock I've heard on Mike Trout over the years is he's not the most entertaining player to watch because he's so good at these fundamentals. Mookie Betts is very entertaining. He provides a kind of, he's good at making those flashy catches Whereas Mike Trout might be able to get a better angle on the ball and not make it look so much a uh, highlight real catch. So I, I'd say if you're going to compare and contrast the two, that's the main thing. Mike Trout's a little more polished and Mookie Betts is a little more fun to watch.
1: Well, yeah. Um, I think that there's an old um, adage in baseball and some people may remember, some people may never have heard of it. And that is, you know, Mike, Mike Trout's a five tool player. Of course, he's got all the abilities. He can field, he can throw, he can hit, he can steal bases. And he's got that it factor from the standpoint of you watch him, you know, he is going to be good for many years to come. And um, so Trout has the five tools. um, And as you say, is polished. Uh, He's not, you know, amazing personality. But that's something that I think uh, comes with time and with confidence in in what's going on. Um, You know, he's on a team where you have Albert Pujols, and Pujols was, you know, that was the guy that when Trout was brought up, he was supposed to compliment. Uh, And quickly, it was seen that that, uh, Mike Trout was something far more different and far more um, compelling, if you will than, uh, you know, than uh, being on the same team with Albert Pujols. It's now Albert Pujols is on the same team with Mike Trout. And that that didn't take long for that to, to flip the script in that regard.
0: Certainly. And I think that touches on something that when you look at a lot of these young players that are so good, part of why they're so good so fast is a lot of them have had really good mentors nearby to help them come up. You know, this with Washington, they kind of built their team around getting those mentors for Bryce Harper and for Steven Strasburg and for these guys like Trey Turner so that they're setting examples so that these guys come up and they know how to be a major leaguer, not necessarily a star player, but even if you're just a guy grinding it out, this is how you act in the game. And Jason Wirth set that example in Washington for guys like Bryce Harper. I think that certainly in Boston, you have Dustin Pedroia and and David Ortiz as well that showed guys like Mookie Betts that that's a unique environment that you have to survive in when you're playing baseball in Boston. And I think that helped him tremendously coming up. And like you said, Trout
1: had pool holes there. And, uh, I mean, it's important to have, you know, somebody you can lean on um, because nobody is prepared for the bright lights of professional baseball. I mean, you, you need to have some people who can help you, you know, help you out and uh, and work with you. And, and I think that uh, Giancarlo Stanton has been that for Christian Yelich in Miami. Um, you know, that's been a huge help. Um even though he hasn't been there from a standpoint of he doesn't go to the games, but uh, you have, um, you know, in New York uh, you have a couple of guys who come back from time to time to, um, to talk and to see the guys. you got Alex Rodriguez who comes and, you know, looks at the Gary Sanchez and, and tries to help him out. and, And as you said before, the aforementioned, you know, Mike judge, Plus, you have Joe Girardi around who, understandably, is, uh, is pretty sharp at uh, making sure that, uh, that the kids on the team uh, understand what it's like to be uh, part of the Yankees organization. But, you know, we were talking uh, about shortstops and, and young players and talking about Corsair and, and, and Trey Turner. Um, you know, I, you can't leave out Addison Russell you know, the Chicago whites of Chicago Cubs either. I mean, he's a flashy and talented young, you know, shortstop at 23 years old.
0: And you mentioned Lindor as well. He's fantastic at that position. The Houston Astros have one of the best middle infields you'll ever see. Right. And they're both young in Correa and Altuve. And those guys are, there's another, we we talked earlier about players that you might have heard about in this young crop that people might not have seen. This might be a good time to watch a Houston Astros game because those guys are a lot of fun to watch coming up.
1: Right. They're, and they've got young pitching and Lance McCullers and, uh, you know, and uh, they've they're pretty amazing group but you know i just left the guy out which uh, i'm surprised you didn't get on me for leaving him out as xander bogarts
0: it, i think he almost falls in that other category of people we forget are in that young crop of players he's been with the red sox for four years now he's played in two world baseball classics with the netherlands and i i think he kind of gets overlooked as a guy who's who's people just think isn't necessarily young, but he is in that young crop. And there's a guy who has, early on in his career, he had a lot of fielding trouble. And while you'll notice the Red Sox are having a lot of trouble fielding the ball this year, Bogart has come a long way in his ability to play the position of shortstop in just a few years, especially being that when he was coming through the organization, they had Jose Iglesias, who's now with Detroit and he's a fantastic um, shortstop in terms of fielding. So Bogarts wasn't expecting to play shortstop when he got to the big leagues and he's really had to adjust on the fly and he's done a good job
1: of it. Yeah, no, there's uh, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's, I think if you'll look at the teams that are um, in the hunt year in and year out, for championships. Um, you know, their farm systems are good and they bring you these uh players. You had said earlier about the Cardinals. I mean the Cardinals for years have been, you know, one of the premier franchises in baseball, in large part because they always have somebody in the pipeline in place of um you know, someone they just lost or, you know, they're poised to to be a breakout star and you know that's one of the things that we all enjoy uh in baseball and and you know you you have it where you see the teams that have the good farm systems are the teams that are consistently right there in the uh, you know in the conversation
2: golf a good walk spoiled the only four-letter words you can say on a course that you can repeat in front of children a source of endless joy and humility It's the game so many of us love. At Ground Under Repair, here on the Podcast Lab Network, I bring you golf from a different angle. I'll talk to groundskeepers, club pros, course designers, marshals, caddies, league organizers, range managers, and all the other people who help put it all together for us. I'm columnist Tim Williams. Join me weekly for Ground Under Repair, where golf is for everyone.
0: And it's one advantage that money has brought a lot of these teams, not not all of them have a whole lot of resources, but it's one advantage that people don't talk about a whole lot with the teams that can afford to re-sign these players, that there's no real concern that the Red Sox time with Mookie Betts is limited because the Red Sox have all the money they'll ever need. They'll be able to keep Mookie Betts in perpetuity as long as they want him there. The Washington Nationals, people like to talk for some reason about Bryce Harper going to a bigger team. The Washington Nationals have always spent money, and they spend money on exactly the kind of player that Bryce Harper is becoming. So they're going to keep him around, or they're going to do everything they can to keep him around. I think the Angels are much the same way with Trout. The Angels have plenty of resources. They can keep Mike Trout and build around him long-term. You might look at that Angels team, and we have for the last couple of years, and felt that Mike Trout's kind of sitting alone on this this team that was supposed to be built around Albert Pujols, and that never really worked out. But they have plenty of time to build around him so long as they can retain him. So I think that a lot of these guys are going to be staying where they are for years to come. And I just said that without mentioning Russell or Bryant. And certainly right now, Mm -hmm. nobody's more flush with money than the Cubs.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I think that there's no question. I think that, um, you know, when you've got Scott Boris as your agent, everybody's concerned uh, because Scott, Scott has a way, but um, you know, you're talking about Bryce Harper. Bryce just signed a deal last week, uh, which made him the highest player ever to sign you know in arbitration it was the highest arbitration figure um Bryce was also the highest um received the highest amount of money for a draft choice for a first round draft choice um it was the same last season Steven Strasburg could have hit the open market um and probably made a ton of money he made a ton of money with the Washington Nationals because um they sat down and they worked out a deal and he said you know what i like what's going on here i like the way the i've been treated by the organization and so let's uh you know let's keep it going and so uh harper in his situation uh i'm sure that a deal will be done between the nationals and harper and uh but you know obviously like everything else uh it's quite possible that he will go, uh, to that, um, whether he signs an extension or not, I think it boils down to what he wants to do at this point. He may want to go out, see what the, um, the market is, which doesn't mean that you still can't sign with your own team. So we'll see how that all works out. Um, I know right now he's comfortable. He likes it in uh, Washington. I think the same can be said for Manny Machado. I mean, uh, I know that the Mets fans and a number of other organizations are looking and say, well, you know, we'll just go down and pull off Bryce Harper and pick up a, you know, a guy like a man It doesn't work that way anymore. Um, you said it well, and that is that there's a lot of teams with a lot of money. And, um, it boils down to the fact that, uh, revenue sharing, uh, in some regards, because of the luxury tax, the television money has been phenomenal. Um, they're really pretty much any team at this point, And I'll say any team of say 12 to 13 or 14 teams can, can sign their own free agent and keep them home. Um, I think that uh, there are even the bottom dwellers, frankly, uh, can do it. Uh, I mean, you can look at the deal that, um, uh, uh, you know, that the uh, Marlins did with young Carlos Stanton for $300 million. Um, it's a back loaded deal, which, you know, they did that. So in case they wanted to trade them, then obviously that's going to be a factor. But at the end of the day, I, I think the critical point that everybody needs to know is that, um, that they have this, um, the teams, frankly, cry poor, but they're not that poor. And, uh, I think that if they want to sign somebody, um, then they're going to go out and they're going to sign them. But, uh, you know, I think we're going to find out in 2017, 2018 seasons and, and beyond is, uh, you know, let's see how, you know, where do we invest our money?
0: Well, the television deals that you mentioned are only going to go up and up right now because. Baseball teams have a very valuable commodity in the current entertainment climate. They have 162 days or nights a year where they're on the air live for three hours. So people who are watching those games don't fast forward through commercials because they can't DVR those games. And that's Mm -hmm. a valuable thing right now because if you're watching any show on television, you can just record it, watch it later, skip through the ads And advertisers are catching on to this. So they're spending more money in live television and less money everywhere else, which makes baseball teams salivate because they get to charge more and more money for the rights to these TV deals. And that's going to go up all over the board. One of the teams that has cried poor as much as anybody in baseball in the last 20 years is the Tampa Bay Rays But the Mm -hmm. Tampa Bay Rays are in for a windfall in a couple of years whenever they get that television deal because they get very good television ratings. And there's not a lot in the way of live television out there to buy for advertisers. So those rights are very valuable as we move forward, which gives more and more teams the right to retain their own players. I think that rising tide that's lifting all boats, that's going to end up being... The answer to baseball not having a salary cap, these payrolls are going to end up going down in the end because you can't go out and get the stars of the world. So unless you're going to overpay a bunch of middle relievers, you're not going to be able to spend that money on anyone but homegrown talent. So there won't be the $250 million payrolls of the past.
1: No, uh, I think that there also aren't the George Steinbrenners of the world anymore who, uh, you know, who wanted to make a splash and go out and and sign every living free agent that they could get their hands on. And I think that, you know, um, uh, you're right there in Boston and you know yourself that as big a franchise as the Boston Red Sox are and John, you know, um, has done a wonderful job of keeping the, the, the franchise in, uh, intact. It is a business first and foremost, and if the if the money, you know, if the investment to bring in um, a franchise player at three or four hundred million dollars makes sense, then then they're not going to, you know, the Red Sox are not going to blow the, the team up just to sign one superstar.
0: Yeah, baseball definitely is a business. Now, don't tell Chris Sale that. He tends to get very angry about baseball when it becomes a business. But other than that, yeah, it it is. The fact of the matter is these things are all a business. And um, at least in baseball, it's a little transparent. It's not done so far behind closed doors because everything's almost done in the court of public opinion. Agents will show up on television to promote their case. So that suddenly fans are demanding that teams spend however much money to retain a guy.
1: Yeah, it, well, you know yourself because you've been around. You know, you've got metrics and and all the different stats that that everybody's doing. They're crunching numbers. They want to know how long can this one player be? You know, how can how long can X player kind of investment? am I going to get return on my investment? Am I going to get if I sign this guy six, seven, eight years, you know, um, it's, it's something that, um, for instance, I will tell you, you know, uh, we'll take the example of the Washington nationals, the nationals made, you know, run at a number of relief pitchers last, um, you know, last, uh, winter. And, um, you know, they went after all Chapman, they went after, um, um, uh, uh, Kenley Jansen of the Dodgers. And of course they already had Mark Melanson. And, you know, the obvious thing would have been, why not go after Melanson? He's the guy who was on your team. Well, they had traded the Pirates for Melanson. They came back, they offered Melanson a very lucrative two-year deal, but he wanted a three-year deal. Um, the brain trust with the Washington Nationals, which is led by president of baseball operations and general manager, Mark, Mike Rizzo, sat down and he just he didn't like the idea of giving melanson a three-year deal given the type of reliever that melanson was and his age and it's not a knock against mark melanson it's just what it was and um the giants came along and uh, gave him a three-year deal and the the nationals you know basically took a pass uh this chapman wanted to return to new york after his uh you know, successful, uh, season, uh, sh- half season in, uh, with the Cubs and, uh, and he did. And then, um, you had Kelly Jansen again, another guy who was comfortable with Los Angeles, uh, was a free agent out there, listened to everybody. At the end of the day, he went back to, um, went back to Los Angeles. So you may want to go out and find a, uh, a superstar. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, it boils down to what's, can you make them, uh, you know, fat, uh, can you line your alliance to what you want up with theirs? I mean, you know, as I say, the Nationals wanted to pay for two years, invest to the third year. That wasn't what Melanson wanted. He wanted a three-year deal. Chapman wanted to go back to the Yankees. Kenley Jansen wanted to go back to the Dodgers. Uh, again, all being equal with the amount of money being paid. So... Um, sometimes you're on the outside looking in and the guys go back and play for the same teams because there's a comfort level there.
0: And with the nationals, they're going to have plenty of time to figure out that bullpen situation because they've essentially already won the national league East with, we talk about all these young stars. It's hard not to at least touch on what's happening with the Mets. The Mets have, I, I, don't think anyone can doubt that when, when healthy that rotation is phenomenally talented, but I think we're learning this year as much as we've ever learned before that you can't bank on pitchers being healthy, unfortunately, and as good as those pitchers are and they, I hope will continue to be good because it just makes baseball more entertaining having guys like Noah Syndergaard in it. But there's a team that banked them banked their future on these young stars. And now they're almost at a crossroads. I wouldn't say that there's anything in doubt necessarily yet. None of these injuries look that long-term, but I think the Mets are starting to approach a point where they have to wonder if they can keep going with the team they have, or if they have to figure out something new. And I think that's, that's something a lot of these teams – that's the risk you take when you build around young players is sometimes injuries pop up. Sometimes an entire team catches the injury bug, and then you're left wondering what to do next.
1: Well, that's true. I know that um, a lot of um, of baseball guys were appalled that the Nationals held uh, Steven Strasburg out. But Mike Rizzo's father was, of course uh, – a legendary scout for the Chicago Cubs. And he saw in one season what the Cubs did, Carrie Wood and Mark Price. Um, They had one hell of a, you know, of a season in their early days. uh, But after that one season, they were never the same. And so, you know, He had regrets that he told the front office that, gosh, you know, I don't know. These guys had never pushed themselves this far, this hard, you know, and the team was like, oh, come on, you know, we can, it'll be fine. I don't think the Mets pitching staff will ever be the same. I think they paid the price for pushing all of those guys further than they were ready to be done. And I think that at at the expense of winning it all, which is what they had hoped to do, they literally ruined what I think, you know, as you said, had a wonderful opportunity to be one of the great pitching staffs of all time. It ain't going to happen in my mind. I don't think, I think the Mets have ruined their pitching staff. You know, will they be good? I don't think Matt, you know, will Matt Harvey return? I don't know. Uh, I like Noah Syndergaard. I think it'd be great to see him back. Uh, You know, what happened there uh, with that whole situation is crazy. That was, you know, he didn't want to be, didn't want to be examined by the doctors because he said he knew his, bo- his body better. And you know, now he's out for, the, for all intents and purposes, for the rest of the season. I just think that that Sandy Alderson and that whole uh, situation with that franchise—they—they—they they, they rode those kids and said, you know what, we're going to make it to the World Series, and this will be the first of many. And I think that they're going to rue the day that they um, that they pushed those guys well beyond uh, their abilities. Or not, excuse me, not their abilities, but their physical um, abilities. Perhaps be a better way of putting it.
0: I think the crossroads they're at that I might have mentioned before is that now that they're having friction with these players as well. It's not just that they're getting hurt; they're having disagreements with Syndergaard, and certainly with Matt Harvey, who's been right. going through what he's been going through. With New York being what it is, with Mets fans, I know plenty of Mets fans, with them being what they are, and as funny as they generally tend to be, and that New York sense of humor that can sometimes be a bit biting. I, and you know all the things that come with being a baseball team in New York, I have to wonder if by the end of the calendar year 2017 if matt harvey's not with some other franchise because both the mets can't handle asking qu- answering questions every day about their relationship with matt harvey and it's hard to believe harvey's not sick of it
1: well i the, i mean the mets haven't really made um, any bones about the fact that they are willing to uh, part ways with matt harvey and I wouldn't be surprised at the trade deadline if the Mets are out of it, and right now it doesn't look it'd take one epic um, comeback on their part to get it to return but i I wouldn't be surprised at all if Matt Harvey was pitching for somebody wouldn't i doubt it'd be a national league team, but uh I wouldn't be surprised if he was you know pitching for an american league team uh you know that they traded him for at the deadline. And that they would be hopefully, on the, from their standpoint, getting back quite a few players uh, on the return side. But I think that the days of the dark night in in uh, in New York are numbered. Because again, I think you're right that the Mets and Harvey are soured on each other, and um, you know that's that's a hard situation to overcome and and to right the uh, the ship, especially when you're not pitching well. And Matt has not been pitching well. You know, since uh, for that matter, since uh, the uh, that final game he pitched uh, against the Kansas City Royals in the World Series. It, and
0: it comes down to in certain ways, there are just certain places where it's hard to repair a damaged relationship with certain areas. And New York, and basically every market in the Northeast, including DC for that matter, is one of those areas. Once, once you've worn out your welcome, it takes quite a bit to get it back. I've seen one Red Sox player that people have turned on, and he's ended up winning them over, and that was John Lackey. And I've mm-hmm. never seen—I don't think I'll ever see it again. I don't. You know, usually, when this city gets tired of somebody their best course of action is to go anywhere but new England for a long mm-hmm. time. And the same is true of New York. The same is true of Philadelphia. And like yep. I said, I, I think to a degree, the same is true of DC and it depends on the team and it depends on the climate at the time. Sure. But I think the same is true there as well. Certainly with the team, the nationals are building. If someone ran afoul of that culture, I think they wouldn't hesitate to get rid of them because I think clubhouse culture is becoming a big part of what these teams are building around if you're going to have these young guys around you're going to want them to enjoy their time both in the city and with your team.
1: Well yeah and and frankly um I would I would argue that um the year the Mets won the division it was more because of the trade that the Nationals made with um Philadelphia to bring um former Boston Red Sox closer and then Philadelphia closer. Um why am I blanking on his name? Jonathan Baffelbaum. Uh, Jonathan great... Baffelbaum, thank you. Who could um, be who could we'll, we'll, be, a we'll be perfect that? Part. Example of thank the you. guy yeah.
0: that that can't Win his way back into anyone's good graces, he wore right. out his welcome in Boston then immediately in philly, and then it took him about twelve seconds to run a foul of d c as well
1: well, it's funny because frankly, during the conversation when they were making trying to make the trade, they were looking for a relief firm, and they went out and um there wasn't a lot available at the time, and uh, they were looking and you know there were a lot of people in the organization that was telling Mike Rizzo, who doesn't usually make bad trades, uh, that this is not what you want to see. You, this is not the guy you want. And he was like, well, you know, um, I think we can get there. And the first thing that Papelbaum, part of the deal was that, you know, obviously he, uh, you know, could veto any trade. And part of the deal was that, um, you know, he he literally wanted to keep his number, there was a guy on the team that already had it. And so, um, you know, he didn't care. Um, he went ahead and, and, uh, continued to have the demand that he wanted. Um, you know, that to me, that's a, that, that automatically shows you how petty someone is. If, if not, if they're getting traded and the first thing that, you know, the first thing they want to talk about is, you know, I want my number. Um, that tells you everything about Papelbaum and, uh, and the people, you know, Washington fans are relatively good about, you know, bringing. Once when, when you bring somebody new into the fold, um, they're pretty good about uh, welcoming them. Um, frankly, Jonathan Papelbaum almost got booed the first day he stepped into the ballpark. <laughs> so no, the fans were not happy. And you're absolutely right. Um, it's a you know it's a thing about whether it's the Northeast I-95 culture or not, but uh, you know, they don't like people from, you know, DC doesn't like people from Philly. New York doesn't like people from, you know, from uh, you know, there's a Boston, New York, Philly, Washington uh, battle that continues to go on year after year after year in large part because of the NFL um, and hockey and everything has been, they played each other over and over again. So, to get a guy from the Phillies you know doesn't didn't necessarily endear him automatically uh to um uh you know to to washington just like uh you know jason worth has been gone 7 years from philadelphia yet every time he walks steps into you know citizens bank park to play baseball now he gets booed so um that definitely clearly um illustrates your point
0: it it is fun to watch how these teams are developing their cultures as well, that the nationals are kind of a looser team as well as the Red Sox. They're extremely loose. They have their outfield does a ritual dance after every single victory and singles out one player that gets to finish it because they had the best game. There's of course the Cubs, they ooze personality. If, if a little bit forced at times with their, with their um, theme road trips that look like they're out of the bad news bears. But there's a lot of personality on these teams. And you mentioned early that one thing baseball needs is young talent. It's not just young talent because baseball always has young talent. It's young talent that can, reach people and get people to really pay attention and get people to like them and want to root for them on a daily basis. And I think baseball's flush with that, that these guys have big personalities or that they fit their teams. I don't necessarily know if Gary Sanchez or Aaron judge have big personalities, but I know that so far they've done very well fitting into what Yankee fans expect a Yankee player to be. I know that, now, and Manny Machado, you mentioned him before. If there's anyone that's going to exemplify the chip on their shoulders that Orioles fans have about the rest of their division, it's Manny mm-hmm. Machado who will you know, he does the opposite of you know, what any opposing fan would ever want him to do he gets in fights with everyone he wears it on his sleeve and he's willing to he kind of stands up for exactly what any Orioles fan would want to see which is someone who's sick of the Red Sox and the Yankees frankly and you know and and then you have teams like the Nationals
1: the Cubs the Dodgers
0: have it to a degree as well
1: yeah I mean um Manny Machado is um he he he's such a a wonderful graceful fielder and he's got the great you know he's got the great uh bat skills as well um and you know when when you've got a guy who Brooks Robinson said is the best third baseman he's seen play that's pretty high praise and um and Manny is you know Manny was a shortstop he came up um they needed a third baseman at the time. They assumed that he would, you know, eventually move over and take the shortstop position. But uh, he's become such a, you know, solid third baseman that uh, that's clearly the the place he is going to to likely play. And you've got a, you know, a lot of it has to do too. And you know this, Tim, as well as I do, with the managers. And you know, you've got a guy like Buck, um, you know, Walter who is a good teacher as well as a manager. He knows how to handle players, and, um, you know, things go well. And and I think if you look around and you see and you look at these different uh, franchises, you'll see that pretty much everywhere there's a a young superstar, there's a manager who understands how to manage a young superstar. And that's very important. You, You really need to have an organization that embraces it and a, young, and a manager who understands how best to to handle um, that young star and to understand that, you know, there's going to be, you know, make the, those guys understand that, you know, as good as you are today, there's going to be times when, you know, it's not going to work for you and you're just going to have to play through that. So um, I think that's as, almost as important, frankly, um, as, as having um, – as the organization is, is having that, uh, that manager. And as you said earlier, the mentors, but the managers are, are the guys who the buck stops with them. And, and I think that that's, that's crucial, uh, in playing with having young players on the team. And I think that that's why Theo Epstein went, uh, after Joe Madden was, he was very pleased with how Joe Madden had done, uh, such a great job with the young kids in Tampa. I think to wrap it up,
0: we can I I think that's a good place to put a button on it. That the other thing these managers are providing is that helps these teams actually win. We've seen so many young and talented teams throughout sports that don't put together a great record because they're supposedly not ready yet, but if you have a good manager, you have someone that can help a team weather those storms of young players are streaky even the good ones are streaky that's just how it is they're still learning certain things about the game and consistency will come with that you know on the fly mm-hmm. education without that they're going to have a month where they can barely hit the mendoza line as well as a month where they set the league on fire mm-hmm. and it takes that good manager to get in there and get team to keep players on an even keel both when they're playing extremely well and when they're really scuffling
1: because mm-hmm.
0: that's where frustrations can happen and where bad habits can develop.
1: And and you see that the managers that, that uh, are so good at handling those issues um, are the ones that benefit from these kids and are the ones who normally are in the middle of the playoff race as well.
0: All right, thanks for joining me this week on The Pickup Game. Jim Williams, how can people find you on social media?
1: Well, Tim, it's easy enough you can give me a Wordman DC, and you can read my stuff on uh, sportstalkflorida.com. So it's always a pleasure to be with you, and it's always a lot of fun talking baseball.
2: That's the show for this week. Thanks again to Jim for coming on the show. You can check out his podcast right here on the Podcast Lab Network via Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Tim Williams. This has been The Pickup Game. Be sure to follow us on iTunes and on Stitcher. Talk to you next week, everyone.